I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take new and underproduced theatre scripts and short stories and turn them into contemporary radio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and part two of Low or Dear Mr. Wells by Rose Napoli. Last week on Play Me. Laura. Yes, Mr. Wells? We've missed you in class the last few days. Is everything all right, Laura? You ask me that sincerely. Teenagers never do that, ask questions, and then expect actual answers. If my memory serves me, that was the start. Are in the beginning, in the biblical sense. Laura, I'm not dating Miss Sylvester. I didn't send her flowers because I'm a married man. I have a wife. I know what married means. You're surprised. You don't wear a ring. We actually didn't get rings. We have these necklaces instead. That's progressive. She's not traditional. We are not. Sarah is her name. Seems a little like you're hiding it if you don't wear a ring, don't you think? No, I don't. It is a commonly accepted form of expressing your marital status. You're upset. You've never said anything. We never talked about relationships specifically. You never talk about her in class either. I don't think that's appropriate, really. Appropriate? A window of opportunity to discuss my wife has never presented itself in the classroom. Mr. Martin is married. He tells us about his wife all the time. Genevieve is her name, and he keeps a picture of her on his desk and their two children, Michael and Stephanie. We don't have children. He teaches Canadian and world studies, and he finds the opportunity to talk about his wife. I'm sorry if this comes as a shock to you. Actually, the opportunity has arisen rather often in between his anecdotes on geographic patterns. I'd estimate that the opportunity arises for him to touch upon the subject of his wife on average three to five times a week. Please, Laura. In fact, nearly all of the students in that class roll their eyes as their emotionally detached insides cringe at the opportunity arising yet again for Mr. Martin to broach the topic of his maritable bliss in his grade 10 geography class. I can see you're upset. I am not one of those students that rolls my eyes, though. I rather enjoy his personal addendums because I hate geography and because I like to know more about my teacher's personal life. It gives me a sense of connection to my teachers as my mentors and intellectual guiders. I'm not sure what's happened here to make you so angry. You're not? No. Really? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna miss the late bus. What are these? You know what they are. How long have you... Cut myself? A few years? Oh, Laura. You remember that week I was absent from school? And you asked if everything was alright? You said I was missed. The week you were absent? I was staying at Maryvale. Maryvale? The facility for youth in need. 
I was at this group thing where everyone shares their problems and then you're given coping tools, like using red marker instead of scissors. Why didn't I know about this? My mother and I decided not to tell the school. I wear long sleeves. This is something your teachers should be aware of. I don't have to tell you anything if I don't want to. It's important for your teachers to know these kinds of things, Laura. For what purpose, exactly? So they can be there if you need someone to talk to. I'm talking to you now. That week you were absent. That was months ago, Laura. Yeah, it was. I just... I should have known about this. Why? Because I'm your teacher and it's important for me to know how I can be helpful to you. That's why? Because I care. Obviously I care. Obviously. Yes. We've been spending a lot of time in this room. We've been here working together. Every day this week, in fact. Well, yes. Uh, until we have more students join us, Until more students join us? Come on! Maybe I was wrong about your marital status, but on this subject, my skills of observation are quite keen. We should talk about this another time. When? When you have time to consult the teacher's hand guide to troubled students? Of course not. I have never treated you like- Like a student? That wasn't what I was going to say. Is there a chapter in the hand guide on how to handle a physical attraction to your students? There has obviously been a misunderstanding here, and it may be partly my fault. I'm willing to wager the hand guide would not advise withholding information about one's wife to one student for whom one has a raging heart on. This is inappropriate. This is all inappropriate. You want to start being appropriate now? Laura. She doesn't smile often enough, but when she does, you remember? I'm not an idiot. Those were writing exercises. I haven't wanted to cut myself in months. You know that? I don't mean to patronize. This work has meant a lot to me, too. Yeah, there's the work. But there's also the way your eyes contemplate the hem of my skirt. How you blink for an extended moment every time you call my name in class. this is not the way to speak to your teachers. You stop putting in the announcements advertising the writing club. You think I didn't notice? How you wait here anxiously after class? You think I don't know what you're thinking? What's going on in your head? I'm here every day after school. You should go catch your bus. You know what occurred to me? I may be here every day after school, but you know what? Please go. So are you. I think we need to take a little break from this club. And do you know where you're not? Out of my classroom. With your loving wife at home, enjoying the comfortable bliss of holy matrimony. Watch your mouth. Do you ever let yourself wonder if those thoughts you have about me, if they're reciprocated? Get out of this room. Do you ever ask yourself if I want the same thing you want? Get out. Fine. I'll go. But I won't come back. Ever. But you wouldn't care, would you, since I'm just another student? You're a fucking pussy. I, um... Laura, I, I am so sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have, uh... And suddenly I'm back in that hallway again, panting and sweating and shocked and elated and afraid. I have been back here so many times. I can see the hallway. The sea of lockers, a blur of gray, the puke-orange tiles jumping up at me, the end of the hallway gaping open wide like my inside so, so close, and yet... No matter how many times I come back to this, I keep doing it over and over again. It never changes. (sighs) Fuck me, Mr. Wells.
I wrote about this just recently, actually. I remember it off by heart. She can feel the dripping of his warmth slide along her inner thigh as he gets limp inside her. She's both repulsed and comforted by this. This is it, she thinks. This is what the stories are about. His body is life and at her mercy. She has more power now in this moment, watching him wipe the white splotch from his pants than she has ever had in her entire life. More love, more strength. This is the truest education he has provided her with thus far. This flaccid aftermath. She's never had an orgasm. She's never had sex before. She doesn't know how to masturbate. The idea of it is uncomfortable and embarrassing. She could hear his throat scratching as he thrust himself into her, his forehead smacking the small window of the classroom door, facing a sea of gray lockers. He's asthmatic, she thought. His strained puffs of air tell her something new about him. Asthma. A weakness. Only letting him enter her would tell her such a secret. And now that she knows his secrets, maybe he'll be the one who stays. Your classroom is no longer the strangest place I've had sex, Mr. Wells. I think you'd be impressed and, frankly, knowing you, a little turned on. In the bathroom of a bar, outside in a park in broad daylight, so many different cars. A church, the public library, during hours. That was fun. I like being grown up now, Mr. Wells. I'm finding it surprisingly easy to learn a few things while at the same time be a complete fool. Remember? And I'll hope she'll be a fool, a beautiful little fool. Don't you think we'd all be better off if we just erased the intellect and were completely ignorant? If we were all just turkeys bumbling around, fucking each other, and eating when we felt hungry, and then dying? Even though I've done it a lot, it was weird with you. It's like at Christmas, when you ask Santa Claus for this toy that you see on the television. And you want this toy because all the kids on the commercials are having the best time playing with it. And then, on Christmas morning, it's there, peeking out of your stocking, and you nearly soil yourself with excitement. But once you rip open the box, you don't really understand how it works. And suddenly, the image of all the kids enjoying the toy so profusely confuses you. And you wonder if maybe there's another piece in that box that you're missing. Or maybe you should just give the tiny manual a read because you just don't get it. And now you've completely wasted a Christmas gift. Don't worry, Mr. Wells. I am starting to get it now. I'm pretty good now, actually. Really good. He smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced, or seemed to face, the whole eternal world for an instant, and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. 
it understood you just as far as you wanted to be understood, believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it had precisely the impression of you that, at your best, you hoped to convey. You could read to me for 36 years and I would never get bored. I'm highly skeptical of your numbers. Exactly 36. Not a moment longer. If 36 years of the drone of my voice is what you wish for, milady, it's yours. I will read to you for 36 consecutive years until... You die? <sighs> Laura. Well, you are considerably older than I am. I'm just being realistic. I'm not that old. Maybe not now. I'd be 76. I am pretty sure that beats the current numbers for male life expectancy. So I'll read to you until my death. What a life. And then what would you do? What would I do when? You know, after my departure from this life. After you died? Yeah. I would move on immediately. Would you? Yes. Like, immediately. I would totally bring a date to your funeral. What? And obviously he would be way younger. How old would I be then? You would be 50-something. 50 51. So I would be 51, you'd be dead and 76, and my lover, mm, let's just call him Paolo, would be 32. Paolo, how exotic. That would make 40-some-odd years between you and my lover. 42. Makes sense. I have to run the whole gamut, experience the more mature lover, and then get wild with my junior, Paolo. Am I not wild enough? We're in a classroom where I teach you. Yeah, Gary the janitor could come in at any minute. Except that his shift doesn't start for another two hours, but yes, how's that for wildness? You're lucky you read to me. For 36 consecutive years until my death. Now who's wild enough to do that? Read to your death? No one but you. What about Sarah? What about her? Wouldn't she have a problem with 36 years? Yes, she would. Wouldn't she have a problem with this week or last week or the week before or today? Yes. So? So? How do you get to 36 years if you can hardly get through the week? I don't know. I've never done this. One day at a time, I guess. Hmm. It's complicated. I know. When you marry someone, your lives are intertwined. Um, everything, money, friends, family, it's not an easy knot to untangle. Yeah, well, you've already started untangling. And then there's you to consider. Me? 36 years is a long time. You may not want this old guy around for the ride. You're not old. How can I be sure it's what you want? You don't even have any kids. No, we don't. Well, isn't that what makes it the most difficult? It would make things harder, I'm sure, but there are other things. What other things? Laura. Like what? Sarah, you, me. Yes? Sarah isn't well. She's sick? It's complicated. What's wrong with her? No, it's it's not that. We, we don't, um, it's, uh, she, uh... Do you want to hear about this? I'm asking you. She depends on me. A lot. Okay. 
she doesn't work anymore. So I have to um, take care of her. So leaving her would not be easy. You don't want to leave? That's not what I said. What are you saying? Laura, this is complicated. I am feeling things that I've not felt in a long time, ever, because of you. I can't tell you exactly what this will look like down the road, but I can tell you that I wouldn't jeopardize this. What I have with you, it's very important to me. You are very important to me. I don't want to lose this. I, I want you to know I'm thinking about all these things, these questions that you're asking, and I may not have the answers yet, but I'm thinking about us, about you, and what's best. In the meantime, you make me happy. This is what I want. I... I think... I... What? Nothing. Let's... Let's just relax now, okay? Let's just enjoy this. Because we're lucky. I'm lucky. Can I ask you something? Why stop now? You're on a roll. Are your parents dead? What? Your parents. Are they dead or alive? My parents. You do have parents, don't you? Yes, smartass. Are they still around? Both of them? Yes. What are they like? My parents? Yeah. What are they like? Old, I guess. Well, that's descriptive. They're not very exciting. Are you afraid to talk about them? No. Then what's the problem? My mother is frugal and overly tidy and insensitive, but ultimately well-intentioned. Um, she loves the Monday crossword because it's the most achievable. And <laughs> Stuart McLean. That's sweet. Yeah. She's a sweet lady. And your father? Uh, he's, um, he reads a lot. Biographies. He likes good scotch and golf, and he's stern and cold, and he's, uh, well, I don't really have a great relationship with him, actually. Did he leave you guys or something? No, he's just, uh, Shitty? He's just shitty. How? He was not particularly good to my mother while I was growing up. Uh, or to me, I guess. Do you have siblings? Two. Brother and a sister. Was he shitty to them? Uh, you know, he was just generally shitty to all of us, I guess. My brother and my sister are um, older than I am, so they were sort of out when I was still there. What did he do? Let's just say my dad could drink F. Scott Fitzgerald under the table, and he wasn't a happy drunk. Tender was not the night. What did he do to you? He would hit us. Sometimes. And my mother, too. Yeah. Yeah. You be my dad and I'll be me, okay? It's a therapeutic role-playing exercise. It's not hard. Just say nothing. Dad? 
Dad? You there? Where'd you go? Dad, it's me. Laura, your kid? That you made with mom out of your bodies and that you call little Laura even though mom hates it? Her name is Laura, she'd nag at you. And you'd just have a secret giggle with me and whisper it anyway? Your daughter that you're supposed to love forever and walk down the aisle? You know you're supposed to interrogate my boyfriends at gunpoint and wait up late and stand at the window when I'm past curfew and ground me to my room because you care? Where'd you go? Dad! (laughs) See? We both have shitty dads. I am going to protect you forever. For 36 consecutive years. Until I die. I think I... I What? Love you. Is that possible? It's possible. Unlikely. Untimely. But it's not impossible, is it? Love? No, it's not impossible. Read to me. So we're going to start our 36 now, are we? No matter what happens, you're not allowed to stop reading. Oh, really? No matter what? No matter what. I like the sound of this. Just shut up and read. Okay. Okay. Where were we? Precisely at the point it vanished... And I was looking at an elegant young roughneck, a year or two, over 30, whose elaborate formality of speech just missed being absurd. Sometime before he introduced himself, I'd got a strong impression that he was picking his words with care. I remember how it was hard for a little while. Thank God for the text message, our primary source of communication. Our 140-letter writing exercise in brevity resurfaced with a vengeance, a textual love affair. Merry Christmas, Lo. Still awake? Merry Christmas. Lo? Oh, sorry. I typed Laura, but something funny happened. Ha ha. I like it. Then Lo it is. I can't sleep. Me either. Sad face. Use your words, Lo. Where are you right now? Living room. Watching TV. Hate TV. Use full sentences, English teacher. Smiley face. He sleeps with his mouth wide open with a look like he's confused or in pain. It's oddly cute. Ha ha. Your turn. She is cold all the time. Her frail little body cannot handle the harsh Canadian climate. The one and only scar on his body is the size of the tip of a marker and came from a pockmark that never healed. The curve of her torso is the most heaven-like place on the earth. He made me come four times last night. His oral skills are unparalleled. I love her. My low. Months passed in this way. Location was always an issue. You suggested the park a block away from my house, so I could get away quickly and be back home before my mother started to worry. 
It wasn't the most romantic of options, and winter meetings in the park were challenging. Frigid, physiologically speaking. But it's what was safest. It's all we could really do, you said, until we were free. And when we weren't sending love texts, we were exercising our creativity through developing the art of excuse. Honey, it's just, I'm up to my eyeballs in marking. Uh, don't wake up. It'll be me and old Gary tonight. It's Courtney's birthday, Mom. It's a sleepover. Her parents will be there. No, there won't be any boys, obviously. Some of the guys from the English department are going for beers after class. Yeah, they asked me to come along. I have to study for this exam. I'll be in the library until late. No, Mom, it's impossible for me to focus with you around at home. I'm going to chaperone the prom this year. It's time I finally bit the bullet. I've been asked to the prom. He's a senior. Just his friends, Mom. It's a whole group that's going. Hello, this is Mr. Alan Wells calling to say that I'm ill. Uh, could you call in a substitute for the day, please? Hello, this is Elaine Paget, Laura Paget's mother. She is terribly ill today. She won't be in class. Hello, this is Mark Paget, Laura's father. She's still ill today. I'm afraid she won't be in class. Fancy room. I splurged. You didn't say it'd be this fancy. I wanted to surprise you, Valentine. There's towel art on the bed. <laughs> Surprise. I thought they only made towel art in Mexico. I imported professional towel artistry from Mexico in honor of this evening. When I was little, my parents stayed in one of those all-inclusive resorts in the Mayan Riviera. This towel art is seriously inferior to the works of the Playa Cabana. <laughs> okay, you got me. My mother took like 1,000 pictures. She calls it the great trip of her life. Look... I bought champagne. Wow. Oh, it's pink. Of course it is. Um, is pink champagne dorky? Um, your dorkiness is not a revelation to me. The pink champagne is lovely. And this room is beautiful. I knew you'd like it. Come look at this view. I'm going to chill this champagne. You can see all the way to the park by my house. Come see. I saw before. It's beautiful. Are you afraid? No. You're afraid of heights. Not really. And come here. It's exhilarating. Think about it. We are above everyone right now. Not everyone. Not people in planes or towers. There are uh, taller buildings than this one. There you go. We're not the tallest building, so there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm not afraid. I'm just, you know. Why did you choose a room this high up if you're afraid? I knew you'd like it. Come here. See? Yeah. Pretty amazing. It's nice. Nothing to be nervous about. I guess not. Except the fact that you're one small slip away from your body being splat all over Bay Street. What? Why would you say that? Because it's true. There's glass there. It would involve more than a slip. Not much more. 
Imagine it. In a matter of seconds, your whole body would be vomity slops all over the street, and the women in suits down there would have to step over your soggy corpse to save their heels from getting dirty. Well, this is helpful. You'd probably be dead before you hit the ground. Your neck would break from whiplash. Wouldn't even hurt. (laughs) I'm sorry. Okay. Look, I'm sorry. See? Who cares about the view? I have the best view right now. Look at this. You, the room, the champagne. Chance to finally share a bed. I've been thinking about it for weeks. Oh, really? What exactly have you been thinking about? Tell me. I'm sure you can figure it out. That was the day we took the pictures. You said that you and Sarah weren't particularly adventurous in bed. I wanted you to discover the adventurer in yourself through me. When you clicked away with the cell phone, I tried to suck my insides into my chest, pucker my lips, and serve my ass to you on a platter. But my body was squishier than the bodies of the girls my age then. I knew this because I would sneak glances in the gym change room of their long, lean legs, gazelles, and tiny blue gym shorts that revealed just a portion of their round, perfect asses. Painfully flat, creamy stomachs and small, perky breasts that had yet to fully bloom. I wondered if you noticed. Guess what? I'm not squishy anymore. I've lost the baby fat. No more carbs. So, it wouldn't embarrass me now to take sexy pictures. My pictures now would make a Maxim pinup. Look at you. You're beautiful. You took so many. Low. Sweet, sexy, intelligent, fierce, brooding, sexy, sexy low. I love you. Love you too. I'm going to take a shower. I'll come with you. No way, little miss. You stay in bed. Stay dirty. Let me get clean for you. I'll only soil you again. You better. Sarah. Pick it up, I remember thinking. It might be an emergency. I could pretend to be a secretary or a student or something. Sarah, on the phone. I knew she existed, but here she was, in reality. Calling, on the other end of the line, waiting. Wife, Sarah. I wondered so many things. Did she have fancy face creams and, like, red lipstick like I did? Did she like going to art galleries on weekdays when it's quiet and drinking vanilla lattes and listening to the radio too loudly? Despite the little kernels of silence over dinner, did she feel lucky to have her life? I wanted to pick up the phone and ask her. What would her voice sound like, raspy and full or sweet and lilty? She was right there. There, pick it up. You know, Mr. Wells, I loved her too. You believe it? I see that now. I didn't feel jealous of her. What I felt was love. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of Low or Dear Mr. Wells. 
This piece was written by Rose Napoli and featured Vivian Endercott Douglas and David Jensen. The original workshop production was directed by Andrea Donaldson. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our podcast, to leave a comment, or to let us know what you think of our shows. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley, and this episode was edited by Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Rashanik Jaberi. Play Me is funded by the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Spiderweb Show. If you're interested in other dramatic podcasts, be sure to check out How to Build a Fire by Kat Sandler. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.